Okay, sometimes when things are too familiar, we can forget their power. Dangerous, big, powerful things. When, when we get used to them. When we grow accustomed to them. We forget that there's actually power there. I love electricity. Because I can plug my coffee maker in there, and then automatically, about seven minutes later, I get this steaming, delicious brown liquid that sanctifies my soul. But you, you use it every day. You, you, take it, you, you forget that it's even there. It's just part of life. But we forget the steps we take to insulate ourselves from the destructive potential of electricity. Electricity is dangerous. But we forget because we're around it every day. Uh, I'm beginning to learn to surf and I love the waves. And you're out on the water and it's peaceful. And you're just waiting for that one wave and hoping that you're in the right spot to catch that one wave. And the power that's in that wave is actually what propels you forward. It is one of the greatest feelings on the planet. Unless it's a wave like the tsunami in Japan in 2011, that's not photoshopped. That's actually the seawall being overrun by a wave that ranged anywhere from 10 meters to 40 meters tall. Those are vehicles being swept up and thrown away. And you forget the power that is in water, that is in a wave. Or even something as simple as a campfire. We love our s'mores. And so we enjoy sitting around a fire, but we can sort of take, take it for granted. I have a fire pit on my back deck. My back deck is made of wood. My home is from the 1800s. This is not a good combination. All it takes is for me to blink and life can be destroyed by the power of fire. You see what I mean? When things get familiar, when we begin to take them for granted, we're used to having them around, we can forget the power that's there. My question for you this morning is this. Does Jesus fall into this category in your life? Is Jesus some, someone with whom you've grown accustomed? Someone you're familiar with? And so you're sort of saying, I like Jesus. He's, he's nice. I like having Him around. And we've been telling you for the last three weeks, we're having a big old come to Jesus moment this fall at Community Church. And we're going to be coming to Jesus again and again. But might He fall into the same category as some of these other things? Incredible potentially dangerous power that we take for granted. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. If you've been with us the last three weeks, you'll say, yay, a new text! Because what we're doing this fall by coming to Jesus again and again is we're taking any given text and we're spending three weeks studying that text together on Sunday mornings. So we come at the same text week after week, but we come at it from a slightly different angle or from a different perspective, like a jewel. We approach it to see all the different facets of what we can learn from these texts. Mark chapter 5 is an example. It is a text that is all about power. If you've got a Black Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 815, and I would invite you to follow along with me as I read. You're also welcome just to like close your eyes and listen as long as you don't fall asleep. But sometimes it takes closing your eyes to engage the imagination, to try and envision the story unfolding almost like a, like a movie in your mind. Either way, 
Eyes open or closed? This is Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we approach Your Word this morning, once again we ask that You would make Yourself plain. Allow us to see and to perceive with both of our minds and our hearts the truth that You have in store for us. We want our lives to be changed because You're real and You matter. So help us to see what You would have for us in Your Word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm telling you, this text is about power. I don't know if you picked up on it, but there's a lot of power dynamics in this text. Even if we just start right in verse 1 at the beginning of the text, there is power dripping from these words. Right? They go across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus gets out of this boat, a man with an impure spirit comes from the tombs to meet him. Some translations say an unclean spirit. Some say a man who is demon-possessed. This man lived in the tombs, the Scriptures say, and no one could bind him anymore. Implication, they were trying to bind him because he was a danger to himself. He was a danger to others. There was violence. There was aggression. There was, there was chaos. There was an uncontrollableness to this man. And so they, for his own safety and for the safety of others around, they would try to bind him. But they couldn't bind him, not even with chains. He was too strong. He had too much power 
to be bound with chains. In fact, it says later, he would tear the chains apart. He would break the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Right away in Mark chapter 5, we're confronted with a couple of things. We're seeing here evidence of a power that is beyond what normal human beings can have. So perhaps we need to talk about demons for just a second. Sidebar. Let's talk about demons in the spiritual world. Because it's important we've got to think about this to know how to even approach a text like this. Um, this can be problematic, and I think it is very easy for we as modern slash postmodern readers to fall into one of two camps, equal yet opposite errors when it comes to thinking about the spiritual world and the demonic world in particular. So let's put this on a spectrum because I like graphics. On the left side of the spectrum, the first error that we might fall into is this. <sighs> Demons don't actually exist. There's sort of an anti-supernatural bias that we bring saying, well, they were a primitive people and anything they didn't understand because, you know, science, uh, they just as ascribed it to demonic or supernatural forces. Uh, but we know now in our very sophisticated modern way that none of this stuff is actually true. So that's problematic. We would call that an error. We would call it an error first and foremost because the Bible speaks about demons and angels and the spiritual forces in the spiritual realm as though they're real and Jesus addresses them as though they're real. So if Jesus addresses it as real, we probably should too. This is also tends to be a position of just general anti-supernatural bias that would deny the miracles of Jesus, that would deny even the, the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired all of Scripture. So this is one error that we can fall into. This is not a biblical, I would propose to you, this is not a biblical way of viewing the text. But there's an equal opposite error, which is, on the other side of the spectrum, demons are everywhere! under every rock and behind every tree, and they're the cause of all the problems in the world, and everything is a spiritual battle, and the only way through this world is to pray through it in order to conquer the demonic forces. And I would present to you, this is also error. That this is not how the Bible, Jesus is not constantly casting out demons, he does it a lot, but he also just heals people who are sick, and he raises people from the dead, and he confers dignity upon those who had none. Not everything is demonic. And so what we find is that as humans, we like binary. We like zeros and ones. We like all of this or all of that, but we're not good with nuance. Unfortunately, the world is pretty much nuance. And so what we need from, to have a biblical perspective on this is to come somewhere in the middle that says, you know what? Supernatural forces exist. Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this present darkness. The Bible clearly speaks of a supernatural world. And yet, Jesus has conquered all the supernatural forces of evil at the cross, so we do not have to live in fear of them. We do not have to go out and hunt for them and chase them down and solve it all. Jesus has the victory. So we live our lives for His glory, and we trust Him in all things. And it's that middle place of recognizing the reality of the supernatural without being so preoccupied with it or denied its existence altogether. Anyways, the point, get rid of the sidebar. As we continue through this text, that's the framework through which we're approaching this text. This is real. This happened. We're not writing the story off as an allegory. We're not saying it's just a metaphor. We're saying this is actually what happened. And there's power here. This man 
was overcome by powers that he could not control. They were unpredictable. They were dangerous. They were violent. It was terrifying. The text continues in verse 6. And when this guy saw Jesus, he ran at him. And what would you have done? I like imagining that moment. So picture this guy who's living out in the tombs. I'm guessing he's, he's wearing rags right now. I'm, I'm imagining scraggly beard filled with twigs and stones and wild hair. If they can't chain him, they can't tie him down to give him a haircut. So this guy is out of control, a rage monster. And he sees Jesus and he comes running at Jesus. I'm picturing the disciples going, this one's yours, Lord, like stepping out of the way. The townspeople backing off, like trying to get out of the way. Like Here comes this rage monster running at Jesus. What are we going to do? What's Jesus going to do? And one of the most beautiful moments is this, is Jesus doesn't even flinch. Because before he would need to, the, the overhead flinches, but the... Sorry, I got to... There we go. No, right about there, yeah. Jesus doesn't even flinch. In fact, what we have here is a moment with really beautiful clarity. Jesus reveals His power. His power is on display for everyone to see. So verse 6, when He saw Jesus, when the, the rage machine saw Jesus from a distance, He ran to Jesus, but it wasn't an attack. He ran and fell on His knees in front of Jesus. He did not trip. This was not an accident. The word here, to fall on his knees, is the same word that's used when the Bible says to worship. This is to fall prostrate before someone. This is a posture of submission before a recognized absolute authority. The crazed rage machine of a demon-possessed man runs at Jesus and falls at his feet in worship. If you thought that this was a contest between equals, you would be wrong. There is no contest scheduled here. There is absolute authority in Jesus. And the demons within this guy are shouting, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They know exactly who He is. They know exactly what He's capable of. And all of this, this great battle, this great cosmic battle between good and evil, It's not that Jesus is like, whoa, here comes this guy. I've got to get some pieces together for this spell so I can recite this incantation so I can... Jesus just says the word, come out. That's all it takes is a word from Jesus to have complete authority over a situation. And even through the rest of the interaction, right, the the demons are begging Jesus again and again. That is not a posture of... Of, of a fair fight. They're, they're begging. They're at His mercy. Down later, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go in them. They're asking permission and Jesus gives them permission. You see what I'm saying? Jesus, is, this is not a, okay, I wonder who's going to win. There's no contest here. This is a complete demonstration of the power of Jesus over all the spiritual forces of darkness. Even a legion of them. Interestingly, Roman legion, what, about 5,600 men? Lower? 4,800. 4, so I've got two commentaries that will disagree with you, but I actually believe you instead. 
4,800 is a lot. There were 2,000 pigs that went and threw themselves in the water. So let's just say it was a lot. That's a fair way of saying it. So I am proposing to you that something that happens in my own life might happen in yours, which is I get used to having Jesus around and I forget just how much power He has and how that power is available to meet me in my times of need. But power on its own makes me nervous. Because power can be misused and not just used. You think of the the political maneuverings of those who have power and the way they use that power to preserve their own power or to make sure that their best interests are reflected in the general population. You think of any tool that has power. You can use a chainsaw to cut down a tree that might fall on your house or you can use a chainsaw in horrible ways. Like the chainsaw itself is just a tool. It has power. How you use that power is what actually matters. So when I come out to a text like this and I see Jesus on the scene and I see this incredible display of power, the question that I have is, wait, 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 wait. So what does He use His power for? What does Jesus use His power for? Because if the demon is unpredictable and dangerous and aggressive and violent, what if God is dangerous and unpredictable and capricious and arbitrary and violent. That's not a win. To trade one of those for a different one of those that just has more. I need to know what Jesus is going to do with that power. And this is the text that gives us one of the most beautiful pictures of the way Jesus uses power. The first thing Jesus does, and there's only two that I'm going to propose to you this morning, Jesus uses His power to seek out the broken. What do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about brokenness a little bit in this text. Um, And there's a whole sort of semantic field of words we could use for brokenness. This text tends to use the word impure. Some translations would say unclean, sort of coming out of the Jewish tradition of those things that make us unclean, or ceremonial uncleanliness. Uh, And I'm a fan of a word like brokenness. But they all kind of refer to the same concept. Here we've got the text that starts, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Right here, we've got to stop. So on this side of the lake, that's where the Jewish people are. On the other side of the lake, this is Gentile territory. So Jesus is going outside of His own people group. And He's going to those who would be considered unclean. There's a level of separation from God. These are not the people of God on the other side of the lake. He's crossing the railroad track. So we've got one, there's, he's on the wrong side of the lake. Number two, we've got this impure spirit, a second level of brokenness or uncleanness. Number three, the man is living among the tombs. And Levitical Deuteronomic law says that if you come into contact with the corpse, you're ceremonially unclean. And the rabbis extended that to be any sort of burial clothes or tombs. And so now you've got this other layer of uncleanliness. And if you keep going in the text, don't forget, there was a giant herd of 2,000 pigs nearby. And if you're a Jewish person, that's a problem. You don't want to be hanging around pork. Uh, that's just not okay. So four layers of compounded uncleanness in this text. You see the brokenness like piling up the land, the person. The... And all of that pales in comparison to this last piece. Verse 5 breaks my heart. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, this man would cry out and cut himself with stones. 
that forget about all the ceremonial uncleanness. Beneath all of this rage and danger and violence is a human being who's hurting and lost and broken. And when I say Jesus uses His power to seek the broken, what's worth noticing, Jesus crosses the lake, interacts with this one guy, and then crosses back. The only reason He crossed the lake was to find this man and set him free. Jesus uses His power to seek out the broken. He hunts them down. He chases them. And He finds them. And then what? (laughs) Not enough just to be found. And we get this beautiful picture. Verse 15. Jesus has now cast these demons out into the pigs. People ran into town and reported what had happened. And the crowds all come. And when the crowds come, says in verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Jesus doesn't just seek out the broken, then He redeems them as His own. He brings healing and wholeness. He brings stability. The guy is dressed and sitting at Jesus' feet in the posture of a learner. Sitting at a teacher's feet. He's taking a rage monster filled with a legion of demons and made him whole again. And the Scripture says when the crowds came and they saw this dude sitting there at Jesus' feet, they were afraid. You thought you were afraid of the demon-possessed guy. You thought you were afraid of the rage monster, but then with a word... Jesus casts out all the demons and restores the man's life. Who should we be afraid of in this text? It ain't the demon guy. It's the one who has power over all things. And perhaps, from time to time, we lose our fear of the Lord. Because we get comfy with Him. And we forget the extent of His power. So, if we sort of wrap this up in a a nice little bow here. I'm arguing this text says Jesus reveals His power. We see that on display right away in this non-confrontation, this non-battle, this horribly one-sided, wonderfully one-sided confrontation with this demon-possessed guy. But what what we need to go beyond to, to find out is this, what does He use His power for? And that's where we find Jesus actually seeking out the broken and redeeming them as His own. Jesus uses His power to seek the broken and to redeem them as His own. So what? Who cares? That's a question that haunts us preachers, by the way. We love explaining the text. I I love explaining the text. I'll stop speaking for everyone else. I love figuring out what the text is teaching us. But then that question of so what, 
The Scriptures are alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. They are speaking to us this morning. The question is, what are they saying to you this morning? What does it mean for you to hear that Jesus uses His power to seek the broken and redeem? For some of us, it's actually this first line that we need to be reminded of. Because we've forgotten the power of Jesus that's available to meet us in our brokenness. And we, think, we start thinking Jesus is a good moral teacher. We just sort of minimize Him. We, he's, he's our pet. He's, he's our companion. He's a very dangerous pet. Because Jesus will transform your life. And maybe we need to be reminded in those times where we are fear, feeling powerless to change that there is the power of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us. Not in some kind of triumphalistic way like we've got the power. No, but in our brokenness, that power is there to heal and restore and make whole. Which, if it's not the first line that might apply to you, maybe it's the second. that You need to be reminded that Jesus is seeking you. Whatever brokenness you're facing in your life, if it's rebellion against God, or if it's circumstances that seem beyond your control, or if it's a life that's lived and you think your life is lived just outside of the visual range that God has. Like God just can't quite see you from where He's standing. You need to be reminded that this is the God who crosses the lake for the one man to make Him whole and set Him free. This is the God who's going to cross whatever railroad tracks there are, whatever lake with storms at all, and He's going to come find you because you matter to Him. And He will chase down the broken. We say it's a come to Jesus fall here at Community Church. This is actually a Jesus coming to us here at Community Church. He's the one who takes the initiative to find us. And maybe you just need to be reminded this morning, you don't have to do the work. He's done the work. He's come to find you. And maybe it's the third line that you need to hear this morning, which is, He's not just coming to find you to scold you. He's not just coming to find you to say, now what is up with your life? But rather, He's coming to actually meet you in that brokenness and to bring redemption. I mean, this story is a, is a snapshot of the Gospel. right? The, the power of God leveraged for our benefit. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but Jesus coming to this earth, dying on the cross for our sins, rising again to offer us new life with God. This is, this, this is as central as it gets. And you need to know that whatever your brokenness is, Jesus can and will redeem it. It may be a process, it may take time, but He'll do it. Because this is what His power is for. And one of the most beautiful things is the way Jesus interacts with this guy at the end of this text. This is the very end of this passage. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He's had mercy on you. And what I like here is what he's instructed to tell others. He's instructed to tell them how much the Lord has done for you. You would not believe the power of my God. Do you know who I was? I was the rage monster. I was powerless, broken, helpless, and oppressed. Jesus saved me. 
And then it says, tell them how He's had mercy on you. All of this power would be absolutely terrifying if God wasn't also merciful. That He doesn't hold our sins against us, but He made a way for forgiveness that we might actually be in relationship with Him. The power without mercy is terrifying. Power with mercy? And that's our only hope. Our only hope is in Jesus who offers that kind of complete forgiveness. A God of all power and glory who will come down into our brokenness to find us there and to redeem us that we might enjoy Him forever. This is what I mean when I'm saying when things get familiar, we can sometimes forget their power. Don't let Jesus get so familiar that you forget He's God. And He has the power to reach into whatever brokenness you're facing and to bring redemption in His name. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we need You right now or real soon. Some of us are here actually in crisis this morning and we're trying to put on a a good face because we're at church and we think that's what's required. Uh, It's not. This is the place where we want to be real and so right now, Lord Jesus, we offer up our brokenness to You. We love that we don't have to pretty ourselves up before You, God. We love that we don't have to earn Your favor. We don't have to keep just enough rules to be good people to get into heaven. We love that You're the one who actually came down from heaven to meet us. We are a broken people and we don't have to hide that from You. Thank You for loving us in our brokenness. Thank You for reaching into our brokenness. Thank You for finding us, for crossing the lake just to find us in the brokenness. And thank You for redeeming us. Thank You for redeeming us once for all at the cross. And thank You for the process of redemption that is at work in each of our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, in Your name, we invoke Your power to bring healing and wholeness and redemption into the brokenness that's in our midst. I'm not a pessimist, but we're either broken now or we're going to be broken soon. And so, Lord, if we're actually in a place where we're enjoying You this morning, give us eyes to see the people around us who are hurting, who are struggling, who need a helping hand, who need some friends to bring them to Jesus. We would ask that as a community, You would be binding us together in love. Not like wishy-washy, mere emotionalism, but in the hard choices to sacrifice for one another that we might point one another to Jesus. Equip us with everything we need so that when we are faced with a brokenness that is too much for us to bear, that we know exactly how to handle it, which is simply to fall at Your feet. We don't have what it takes, but You do, and You offer it so freely. May You empower, equip, encourage, sustain, build up, strengthen, infuse with Your power. May You do all this to Your people so that we might shine, not saying, look how great we are, 
but that we might shine and say, look how great our God is, because he rescues broken people. May we declare all that God has done for us and celebrate the mercy of God that covers us. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.